HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome. Welcome to the line here on Heritage Radio. I'm your host, Eli Sussman. If you've never joined us before for the show, this is basically how it works. I have a guest on and we just chat. It's mostly a, a, a tale, a trip through their uh, working career. So we start in early childhood and we work our way up through first jobs in food onto uh, the project or the restaurant or uh, the, the job that they have today. Uh, so my guest is Chef Angie Rito. She is the co-owner of Don Angie located in the West Village. Chef Rito grew up in Cleveland and has worked in New York City at Teresi Italian Specialties and within the Quality Italian family. In May of 2018, Pete Wells of the New York Times awarded Don Angie two stars. Zagat has named Chef Rito one of 13 chefs to watch in New York City, and the infatuation named Don Angie one of the best restaurants of 2017. It's definitely one of the hottest restaurants in town. It's nearly impossible to get a table, I've been told from many people and read online. <laughs> Chef, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So... As I just mentioned, we always start kind of at the beginning. You're from Cleveland. We were talking right before we went on air about how we're both from the Midwest. There's this wonderful Midwest sensibility about people. Uh, a lot of people sum it up as just saying that you're kind of patient and nice. Uh, some people equate it with like that Canadian warmth of just like, we like you. You're a nice person. Uh, I wonder if that was what you felt like growing up in Cleveland and uh, and talk a little bit about your, your family's lifestyle in Cleveland because they were involved in the restaurant 
food business kind of from the beginning, right? Yeah. So um, I come from an Italian-American family. Uh, my grandfather is from Sicily, and he actually started uh, an Italian bakery in Cleveland. Uh, so that was like a huge part of my childhood. My my dad's a baker. You know, his dad's a baker. He works at the bakery. And I guess like, you know, the three generations beyond that, they were all bakers in Sicily. Um, so I don't know, just food was always like an integral part of like every family gathering, like, you know, beyond food from the bakery, but just, you know, I mean, antipasti and pasta and just everything. Like it was just a huge part of my growing up. Was it the type of thing where you were expected to work in the bakery? Like, did you and all your cousins start yeah, off at the 100%, counter and then bake? And- yeah. Um, as a child, I like I was 13 years old, I think, when I started working there. My dad just basically like handed me a Rito's Bakery shirt and like put me in the car and like dropped me off. I was like, all right. But uh, yeah, and it was, I mean, I genuinely enjoyed it. I never really thought of it as work. I just like, I genuinely always really enjoyed it. I feel like it could splinter two ways. It could either be, oh, my parents are forcing me to work at the family bakery. Like, this is so annoying. I'm all dirty all the time. Or it's, (laughs) oh, cool. I get to play around with sugar and flour, and basically I get to eat cake all day to a certain extent. So for you, it seems like it was a more positive experience. But do you think that that has a huge part in why you became a chef or do you think that was it you, did you weave and wind a different way or when you were 13 were you like oh this is my career um I actually like I never thought of it as an option really working in food I just thought you know I just I thought that I was expected to go to college and you know get like a quote-unquote like real job and mm-hmm. I always had a passion for food and restaurants and I always sort of thought that down the road I would own a restaurant like that was always my dream but I never thought of it as you know, like a career path that I could start on and stick on. I just thought, you know, it could be like something fun I could do down the road. I thought that I, you know, I needed to do something like quote unquote more professional. Um, So I went to college for, I studied journalism and I I actually moved to New York uh, to do an internship at like a film development company. And um, at the time I was working as a waitress um, at this restaurant, uh, Park Avenue Autumn. It's like a restaurant that changes every season um now it's now it's on uh 26 and park but it used to be on park avenue and 63rd and i met my husband there uh, but i was working there as a, a waitress at just like supplement my income and i just i realized at that point like how passionate i was about food um and actually like a customer one time said something to me because i was describing a dish or something and they're like oh are you are you a chef and i was like no i'm just a you know waitress they're like oh you just you talk about food with such passion and I, I realized at that point that, you know, this was what I, I needed to do and focus on. And I basically just started cooking. I didn't go to culinary school. Um, I just started working in the kitchen. So when you say you started cooking, does that mean that you went to the GM and said, I think I don't want to be front of house anymore. I want to be back of house. Was it as simple as that? And did you transition at Park I basically at park Restaurant? Yeah, I basically, well, I, I talked to like the, the corporate chef and and uh they put me at quality meats which is another restaurant within that group and i like worked my way up from you know the garmage station and worked all the various stations there and it was just like me and a bunch of huge dudes in this like you know basement kitchen and i'm like this five foot two two girl and i just you know it was kind of a funny experience at the time but um 
it was great and I loved it. What did, what did your family think when you told them that you were transitioning over to the cooking side? Uh, was your grandfather still alive? Was your father? They, what did they? What was their response upon hearing that you were gonna be getting into the kitchen again? Yeah, my um, I'm fortunate enough that all my grandparents are still alive. Um, my I remember being like terrified to tell my parents because I'm like, oh my god, they're gonna be so disappointed. Because and they kind of were. To college, and yeah, they, they probably were like, didn't want oh. you to make seven dollars an hour <laughs> as a line cook. Right? No, exactly. They were a little disappointed, but um, I think now they're cool with it, you know. <laughs> but you made good, okay? Yeah, yeah. but at the time they were kind of just like, oh, like you know, what are you doing? But um, now they understand for sure. What did that feel like the first time when you, so you, you transition to the kitchen, you get a prep roll or a line roll immediately, your first day on the job when you don't put on your, I don't know, black pants, tie, whatever you wore at the fancy front of house, and you put on your whites for the first time, and you maybe set up your station. What does that moment feel like to you? Um, I'm not gonna lie. I was like terrified at first. Cause I'm like, what am I doing? But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, um, I, it just, it just felt comfortable for me and it's always felt comfortable for me. And just the, you know, from that point the, the kitchen, um, environment and just like the culture is just one that I, I don't know. I just, I feel comfortable. I feel like I, I fit in, you know, it's, it's a unique type of culture that I don't think you find in any other place you know the the kitchen culture and i i love it so you mentioned like your size and a lot of dudes and it being intimidating (laughs) and it being an intimidating environment i'm curious as to uh, at the beginning did you did you feel like i have to climb a bigger mountain in order to get where i need to be or was it a welcoming kitchen where it was just like you had to do your work or did you feel like because you were a woman in the kitchen it was i've never felt i mean backed up against i was just acknowledging that because it's funny i've never felt that way like you know that i had to work harder or anything like that i just sort of focused on myself and that's it you know i don't really think about other people i just focus on myself and doing the best job that i can and Mm -hmm. you know i've never really allowed myself to feel that way because i think that would just like set me back and so you're working at Quality Meats, which is a pretty big restaurant in a big brand. Like they have multiple entities, uh, a lot of covers every single night. Did you end up pretty quickly on like a pasta station or a hot station? And what was that like when you are now in a, not to like denigrate what a prep shift looks like, but being on the line during yeah. service is a different animal. What did that feel like to you must have been quite different from yeah, being in the I bakery mean, and it, baking at like a pace where you set the tone right uh on the line it's like you, the chef is calling out tickets to you and you gotta you really slam plates up to the pass yeah or else you're done for what did that feel like i mean it was a great experience it really pushed me you know it was it was a challenge um but it's you know, it's, it's like an adrenaline rush, you know, when you're, when you're super busy like that and you get through a really gnarly service and, you know, you survive. It's, it's like a very rewarding feeling. Um, I, I spoke to someone that worked with you at Teresi. Oh, really? And they said that 
you would just crush the pasta. Oh, station. really? <laughs> they, they said it was one of the smallest, hottest kitchens that yeah, they ever that worked is, in, that and is. that the pressure was really high. Uh, as many people who follow the food industry know, is that the the chefs that run major food group are very demanding, incredibly yeah. precise. They've obviously gone on to have a, a great deal of success. Uh, but their intensity is widely known. Can you speak a bit about the Teresi experience? You were there at the beginning before they really had their explosion into major food group. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about working in Teresi, working for them, and uh, and what you took away from that experience? Um, I mean, I worked with, hands down, some of the most like inspiring people there. Um, Eli Culp was the chef de cuisine there when I worked there, and he was like you know, hands down the biggest influence on me personally in my career. Just, you know, uh, he like taught me how to like think outside the box in terms of cooking. Like I think before that point, I thought, you know, I read a ton of books because I didn't go to school. So I like, you know, I, I would read a lot and I sort of like always felt like there was, you know, only one way to do certain things. There was, you know, techniques are great, but you know, I just, I didn't really think broadly about how things could be done. And Eli like really, you know, thought outside the box, like he'd, you know, throw a bunch of aromatics in with, you know, uh, like blanching broccoli or something, which is like so stupid. But I remember thinking like, oh, I always just thought you like blanched stuff in salted water, like just something simple as that. Like he just, you know, like really thought outside the box and like just did things differently than I'd ever seen before. And just um, he was just so focused and so passionate. And he like really, really inspired me. Um and Rich and Mario too. Yeah, they were super demanding, but it like really pushed me. And, you know, I think that's what made me the cook that I am today, for sure. People tend to wear a difficult or stressful kitchen experience like a badge of honor. Like I made it, I made it through. Uh, do you feel that that prepared you to then go on and take on uh, your next challenge? And I'm curious, how did you... Uh, I don't know how the kitchen was uh, orchestrated, like from a hierarchy in Teresi, but did you rise to the level of uh, sous chef? Like, did you have a leadership position there at Teresi, or was that not until your next job that you were able to have more of a say in how the kitchen was run? Yeah, I was. I was just a line cook there, mm-hmm. um, and then after that, I, I went actually to work with my husband. We opened um, Quality Italian, which was a which was a learning experience in itself, just in a, in a different way, because I was in, I was a sous chef and I was the chef de cuisine and it was, you know, running a huge team of people, which is a feat. Um, yeah. So tell me more about <laughs> that. You know, Teresi, as we mentioned, it's, it was this very small kitchen, yeah. extremely small dining room. I think it was only 20 some seats, yeah, right? It's really. like 20 seats. And then quality Italian, uh, I've been to the one, there's more than one, but there, there's one at 53rd or 55th? Uh, 57th. Right. Okay. So it's huge. Yeah. I don't know how many seats it is, but I'm going to guess that it's 250. Yeah. It's like 200 seats. Yeah. Right. So that's a huge change. Yeah. Uh, what did that, what was that like to move into a kitchen and move into a role where there was maybe on a given night, what, 40, 50 people on staff, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair uh, guess. Yeah. So what was that like? Just it's gigantic. What did that feel like? Yeah. I mean, it taught me a lot about managing people and, you know, 
being organized, especially like opening something like that from scratch, like you really have to be organized, you know, to a T, like, you know, which prep people are going to make which things and what, you know, like there's, there's a lot of different like moving parts that you have to sort of like orchestrate. And I enjoy a challenge like that. And I think, you know, with like every restaurant opening I've done, I've like learned a lot in that respect, you know, about managing people and organizing and, you know, with the opening of Don Angie, I felt like we were in a really good place where, like, we were super organized, where I just, like, thought of every, you know, detail, like, before we opened. So, like, the opening just went, like, super smooth. You know, I, like, sat and thought and thought and thought about every little thing, and it really, like, you know, helped me. But that all – I was able to, to think about all those aspects because of, like, my experience in the past. Let's – Continue to talk about the opening of Quality Italian. When you joined up with your husband, was the restaurant open and you were part of a new leadership team, or did you open the restaurant? We opened the restaurant together. Cool. So a lot of people listening are going to be in the industry, and they're going to be thinking about what their projects might be like one day. And as you alluded to, there's all these moving pieces to opening up a restaurant. Everything from what fork do we use? to what light switch do we use, to what is the menu going to be like. Right. Working with your husband sounds challenging and terrifying and, and, <laughs> and, and, also, and also probably pretty fun. Uh, my brother is my business partner, so I can, can make sort of a comparison yeah. to working with someone that you are close to and spend a lot of time with. How much of a give and take was that working every single day on opening a project uh, alongside your husband? Um, I think for the most part, it like really works to our advantage because we, we think very similarly and we like share a lot of the same opinions and we're just, we're like always sort of on the same page without like a ton of communication. So, you know, I think that works to our advantage. We don't have to like over communicate with each other. We're just always sort of on the same page and we can sort of like operate separately, but together if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And when there was all those moving pieces, was there a clear delineation of who was responsible for X and who was responsible for Y or? Yeah, I think it just sort of like happens naturally between us. Like the way that we work together, we sort of, it just naturally happens. Well, since we're not inside of both of your heads, can you speak a little, a little, <laughs> Sorry. A, a little bit to what? You're not in my head. What does that? What does that really mean? It you know, you can communicate really well with your husband, but what does that really mean in terms of who took on what big tasks at the opening? And I mean, and how, I how does that translate to Don Angie as well? I mean, from like an operational yeah. standpoint, yeah. like I typically do more of like the organizational things like, you know, make lists and plan, you know, like whatever. I, I contact vendors and sort out all that stuff. Um, and Scott's more like, you know, he does like the hiring and he deals, um, you know, with scheduling, um, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So some examples. And, uh, so before we get on to Don Angie, I just want to continue talking about Quality Italian and the Quality Branded family. So the group compromises a lot of uh, different concepts. There's uh, They have this flagship Smith, 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 Smith and Walensky, uh, Maloney and Percelli, there's Park Avenue, there's Quality Meats, Quality Italian, and Quality Eats. How did that feel to be part of a huge group? 
Uh, I know you were brought in along with your husband to run Quality Italian. A lot of folks have never, ever worked inside of a big corporate structure yeah. like that. What benefits did that have for you and your husband to go with such a large group as opposed to uh, sticking with a small independent yeah. restaurant operator? Uh, I mean, so we met at Park Avenue. Mm-hmm. So right. we, you know, it, Scott has worked with them for... 11 years. Um, that was 10 years ago when we met and, you know, I started out working with them and then I left to go work with, uh, at Teresi and then I, I came back to work for quality branded. Um, it's weird because it is a big company, but it doesn't feel like it, it the way that they operate. They don't, it doesn't feel like a big, you know, corporation. And Michael Stillman, the president is like, you know, the coolest guy ever. Like his father, Alan Stillman is like a legend in the, you know, restaurant industry and they're just super like, um, generous people. And, you know, I've, it, it always felt like a family to me. Uh, honestly, how do you think that they accomplished making it feel like a smaller family? And, <laughs> I and have ha- no idea. And how do, well, then how do you kind of continue that at your restaurant? Because I imagine that they're, they've created a corporate culture and they hope that you and your husband continue that at your project. Yeah, but I don't is, think we have like... It's a big brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there a clear cut kind of top down, this is what our company culture is going to be like or is it not really that set in stone? I don't think it's like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think it's, it, you know... And, and so... How do you and your husband kind of define what happens at Don Angie? If it's loose and they're not really breathing down your necks all the time, how have you and your husband kind of figured out what you wanted Don Angie to be? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I firmly believe that, you know, happy cooks make happy food. And we try to keep the atmosphere as light as possible in the kitchen. Like, I, I basically, like, decorated the kitchen. We have, like, all these funny, like you know, pictures of like Frank Sinatra, like eating spaghetti and like stupid stuff like that, like hanging on the walls. And, um, you know, we play music during the day when we're prepping. Like I, I genuinely want all the people that work for us to be happy and to be excited to be there. And, you know, we're, we're serious about what we're doing, obviously, but at the same time, we, you know, at the root of it, we want everyone to be happy and content and we want people to, you know, want to come to work. Um, and we don't want it to be like this overly stressful environment. And, I think that's like the biggest thing that's the, you know, that's what we tried to create at Don Angie is just like a very, um, like familial, um, just like happy culture for everyone that works for us. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back more with chef Angie Rito here on the line, heritage radio, stick with us. The following program has been brought to you by root 11 potato chips. From the moment Route 11 potato chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. 
vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome back to The Line here on Heritage Radio. My guest today is Chef Angie Rito. She's the chef and co-owner of Don Angie, located in the West Village. She's a co-owner of the restaurant along with her husband, who she met in the quality branded Quality Italian family. They ran Quality Italian together before moving on and opening Don Angie. My first question about... Don Angie, in terms of being within the quality Italian, quality branded family, is that I'm going to assume the entire project was funded internally and that you didn't have to put a deck together and take it out to market as you would if you were trying to fund a restaurant because it was you were developing a new concept within the group. But I am super curious as to what that process is like being within a brand that has concepts and then coming to them and saying, or they coming to you and say, we'd like to start a new concept. Are you interested? So what does that look like from the inside? Can you peel back the curtain a little yeah. bit and let us know? So uh, my husband and I left Quality Italian in like 2015. And then we did this little like speakeasy restaurant for a brief period of time in the East Village called Dinner Table. Um, and at that t- time, uh, uh, Quality Branded, Michael Stillman, uh, reached out to us and, you know, he, he's known that our dream has always been to do our own thing and open our own restaurant. So, uh, we basically, you know, decided to, to partner with him to do, uh, what, what ended up being Don Angie. Um, but we did, you know, we, we did have to develop a, uh, a pitch book and reach out to investors. We did, uh, get a number of investors for Don Angie, which, um, we were fortunate enough where we, you know, we met a lot of, we met people at dinner table. We met people at quality Italian that, you know, believed in us and our vision and our food and, you know, gave us a chance, which was great. So what was that experience <clears throat> like for you? It's a very difficult process for most people to put their entire idea to paper yeah. and then to accurately explain it to someone yeah. while asking for money. How how did that process go for you and your husband? Did you hate it? Did you enjoy it? What was some, maybe some great successes and failures that you had during that process? Yeah. I mean, like, fortunately we weren't like the ones on the ground, like asking, Mm -hmm. you know, um, other people. You had kind of like an advocacy team sort of. Yeah. Thankfully, because I'm, I'm definitely not (laughs) good at that. Uh, but we did, you know, forge like friendships and, you know, stuff with people that, you know, who are now our investors who came into dinner table, for example, that, you know, I, I'm actually Scott is more, more so than, than I was, was, uh, the guy that sort of like, you know, maintain those relationships. And, um, you know, that was helpful in the end when we, we needed to find investors. And so when you went to do the build out before we're even talking about the menu, or maybe you're talking about the menu at the same time, but you said that doing the opening of Quality Italian had sort of made you think of everything. So I'm curious about the interiors and the layout. Did you and Scott have a lot of say in that? And did you use 
um, an in-house designer architect or did you look outside of the quality branded family? How did the space come to be? Because the space has actually been written about quite a lot and people seem to really love the visuals inside as well as of course the food. So we all know that aesthetics play a big role and people enjoying the meal. So talk a little bit about that, the interiors and how it kind of came to be. Um, well, so the, the space itself, we looked at like a, you know, a ton of different spaces and nothing really spoke to us like, like the, the one that we have now. Um, it was this restaurant monument lane before. Um, but it, it's like this awesome, you know, corner location, really nice natural light during the day. The kitchen itself is pretty nice for a West village restaurant. It's actually crazy how, how big it is. Um, and we ended up hiring uh, these these guys called uh, GRT Architects. These two um, guys that are really really talented and really just you know we met with a couple of different uh, designers and we just felt like right off the bat they like kind of clicked with us and like understood our vision. You know we we basically explained to them you know we wanted it to be comfortable but you know feel kind of. Uh, you know, look kind of unique and different, but also have like sort of nods to like old school Italian American uh, joints. And I think they did like a tremendous job with it. Like there's, you know, like the floor is like a subtle like checkerboard of like gray and white, which is, you know, a nod to like the black and white checkered floors. Like there's these little like subtle uh, nods within the design to like old school Italian, but like done in a modern way. Let's talk about the menu now. Yeah. So the the thing about Italian restaurants is that food, Italian food, people think they know it very well. Yeah. Because everyone has grown up eating Italian food. So was there a push and pull with your creative team, your kitchen team, with giving people what they were going to expect, but also having fun and flexing your creative muscles within the kitchen. Uh, I wouldn't say that your menu is actually super traditional. No, not at all. <laughs> but, but there are, as you've, as you've alluded to with the design, there are some strands of old school Italian joints yeah. that weave fruit through the menu. So if you can maybe talk about one or two dishes, maybe one that's you find to be a little bit more traditional and one that, isn't at all. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's basically the, um, all the menu developments, basically like me and my, my husband and, um, I'm trying to think, I mean, I think one dish that's kind of unique and sort of indicative of our style is we do like a, uh, like a calamari with pepperoni fried rice. Yeah. That was, uh, the, which, one, that was the one that I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, you know, calamari is something you always see in Italian joints, and it's always just like breaded fried calamari or whatever. So we thought it'd be cool to do a calamari appetizer, but we wanted to treat it differently. Um, so we marinate it with a bunch of different seasonings, and we uh, sear it on a plancha, kind of like Spanish style, and um, it's served with uh, pepperoni fried rice, which, you know, pepperoni is like this ubiquitous, like Italian-American ingredient, but like you never see it with fried rice. Um, and herbed yogurt. So it's like this crazy mashup of, you know, I don't know, like streetcar, the, the actual, the yogurt was in, came to my mind because of like streetcar, uh, like halal. halal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get like the yogurt and it's always so good with the rice. Um, but it's like this, you know, it's this mashup that, 
or like there's inflections of like Italian American cuisine, but it's it's not at all. It's it's not Italian, you know. And is there another dish that you feel is a lot more traditional and that you kind of tackled in a much more straightforward way? Yeah, I think, well, we thought that, you know, we definitely needed like a red sauce, uh, quote unquote, like a pasta dish. So one of our um, pastas on the menu, it's probably our most, actually it is our most popular, is we do a garganelli with broken meatball ragu. So it's kind of like a new version of spaghetti and meatballs where... Um, you know, the meatballs are broken into the ragu, so it's a little more cohesive than like, you know, eating spaghetti and then like eating a meatball. Um, I'm I'm happy that you brought up that dish because I, I, I have it in my notes to ask you about it. Why not just make a ground beef bolognese for people listening that hear, okay, so you make meatballs and then you break them up. Why go through the process of making the meatball and then breaking it up into the sauce? What does that necessarily I mean, there's a textural element for sure they're mm-hmm. like these soft it's it's scott's recipe he's like famous for his uh his meatballs so and honestly like we came up with that dish because we were like all right we got to put scott's meatballs on the menu in some form so that's like how that came about you're like i guess we'll just break, break them into pieces and <laughs> no um i mean it's a little more complex than that it's sure, we actually make uh we cook down onions and guanciale uh, with some Marzano tomato juice, and then we separately uh, dehydrate, like we sort of make like demi sec tomatoes with the San Marzano, San Marzano tomatoes. We like partially dry them in the oven, and we to- we chop those up and toss those in there. Um, so it's not just you know it's it's I think it's like a little more complex than just like a basic like ground meat ragu, and I think that the texture the texture comes across of the meatballs, even though they're broken up. Is Scott and are you a cheese inside the meatball? Cheese inside as well as outside as well as, you know, on top. Like, okay, so I'll ask you. We're not skimping on the cheese. Are are meatballs that don't have cheese in them, is that like sacrilegious to Italian cuisine? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) no, we're very heavy handed on the cheese in general in the Mm -hmm. restaurant. I'll be the first to. Our dairy bills are like, you know, the (laughs) highest ones out of everything, which is kind of funny, but. I'm sure that I'm sure that makes people pretty happy. There's uh, there's probably no one who ever said they wanted less Parmesan exactly. cheese on a pasta dish. Uh, so, what's really interesting about the first dish that you talked about is that it doesn't really seem like there was anything from a structural standpoint that you said let's pull back let's stop you just said let's create a lot of interesting flavors you started an italian point but that is a very not italian oh yeah 100% dish yeah. at all so that must be really freeing and fun for both of you and also for your kitchen staff to be in an italian restaurant but there are things on the menu that are very much your own creation from reading through your menu it seems like there's a lot of asian influence as well yeah. a lot of seasoning and some ingredients that you just would definitely not find in, a, in an italian restaurant do you think that that is one of the things that um that keeps you guys kind of having fun with the menu like being able to constantly go in in other directions or do you sometimes just say to yourself like gosh i wish we could just put a standard fettuccine on the menu or is no, it not love, that yeah okay. we love having fun with the food and it's you know when we set out to open this restaurant we were well aware of the fact that you know new york city is like super saturated with italian restaurants you know regional italian restaurants italian american restaurants 
you know, you name it. So we, we really set out to make this restaurant different because, you know, at the end of the day, we want to have a viable business. And <laughs> I thought that that was a good um, perspective to have on it is to, to really try and make something different that surprises people and, you know, feels refreshing in the Italian-American food scene. You spoke a little bit about Eli and having, you know, someone who you could look to to learn from. Uh, do you have a specific mentor right now who is outside of the quality Italian that you ever lean on for advice? Or do you mostly just stay kind of internally focused as you? I think that, you know, my husband Scott and I just sort of, we bounce our ideas off of each other. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's how we operate. Um, and we constantly you know, go out to eat and we, we travel whenever we can. And I think that's what keeps inspiring us in terms of our, our food. As someone who has a very small restaurant and, and has to make a lot of decisions with his partner, uh, I'm actually kind of jealous of the structure that, that you and Scott have because if you want to, it seems like you can make a call to headquarters where there is like a CEO and a COO and there's people with marketing expert, yeah, we're expertise. Super fortunate. Um, how has that um, maybe shaped what you think Don Angie can be in the future? And by that, I'm kind of just basically asking about like expansion um, yeah. because it feels like Don Angie could be a singular entity location that exists in the West Village, or potentially there could be many of them. I'm curious, before you started it, what did you think it would be? And now that it's open and it's gotten a lot of acclaim, has that changed at all? Um, you know, before we opened, I think we just thought of it as a standalone project. Um, obviously, you know, we've, we've been fortunate and you know, the thought has crossed our mind to, to open other locations, but we're not, you know, we, we don't know right now what the future is going to hold. We definitely want to do other projects for sure. I don't know if it'll be like another Don Angie, but, um, you know, we definitely want to do other projects. We just, you know, I think it's going to depend on timing and location and what opportunities arise for us. When a normal a normal day starts. That's a funny thing to say in the restaurant yeah. industry. But when it, a normal day starts, uh, and you and Scott both wake up and head to the restaurant, what does a normal day look like for you? So Scott typically goes in earlier than I do. He typically is like the opening guy and I'm typically like the closing guy or mm-hmm. girl. Uh, <laughs> um, so Scott will go in at like seven 45 and, uh, you know, probably will stick around to like 10 PM sometimes. And then I go in at like 11 and I, you know, I'll stay there if it's a Friday night, sometimes till like 2 AM. Um, but, uh, you know, the opening, the opening position is more like, you know, he takes in all the deliveries and he, you know, does the ordering for the following day. And, you know, me, I, you know, I make, I help make family meal and I, I expedite service and I run like all of service and see it to the end. So what do you, what do you think your leadership style is and how has it gotten to where it is today? Um, that's interesting. I think I've had to like learn a lot to like, kind of like relax a bit and just, you know, be like a little more patient with people because 
I think in the beginning, like I'm just an impatient person in general. I just want, you know, things done right away. And I'm, I'm like that with myself too, you know, and I think I would be like that with other people. And I had to really learn how to take a step back and be more patient. And I, I hope, I think I'm a little more patient today than <laughs> I was. I don't know. Uh, but like I was saying earlier, I, you know, we, we try to treat everyone with respect and, you know, we ask people how their weekend was and, you know, we try to like really just treat our employees well um, because I think it really just makes for a better environment for everyone and just like makes the restaurant better if everyone is happy to be there and everyone is passionate about what they're doing and, you know, proud of the restaurant. Like I think that just makes the restaurant itself better. So I think that like is part of my management style. Opening up a restaurant is incredibly difficult. What is, if there is one thing that you can really pinpoint, uh, it could be on the menu, it could be an interaction you've had with someone, when did you feel the most happy and proud about Don Angie, the restaurant that, that carries your name since it's opened? Like, has there been a singular moment where you felt like you could take a deep breath and really soak in the kind yeah. of... The happiness of yeah, opening it's a crazy. restaurant. It took me a while to really like step outside and, you know, just realize like how wonderful it is. I, you know, for the longest time, like especially through the opening and just like the early months, I was just so focused on, you know, working and just getting the job done that I didn't really, you know, allow myself to like look at it from the outside. But um, uh, last week, actually, my family came to town, my parents and a number of my aunts and uncles, and we all sat in the dining room at Don Angie with Scott's parents and, you know, my, a couple of my cousins. And um, that moment was when I, like, just realized, like, how proud I was of the restaurant and of the team. And, uh, yeah, that, like, that was definitely a defining moment where I was like, wow, I'm so proud of this team and this restaurant. You've spoken a lot about how you and Scott work together and the the ways that you each handle certain aspects of the restaurant for people listening that are in the business that are either looking for a good partner or they currently have a partner who might be their best friend or their spouse or their roommate. Can you give some advice about how you and uh, Scott make your uh, professional relationship work? Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a hard one. <laughs> no, I mean, we just, we can't, I mean, as being a couple, this, I mean, only applies to being a couple. Like we just, you know, we, we can't like let things at work that upset us, uh, go beyond work to our personal life. So we kind of have had to learn to just like let things go a lot, you know, just any like little um, disagreement we have at work, we've learned to just kind of like walk away and just, you know, end it. Like it's not, you know, whereas in the past we might've like, you know, kept an argument going or something. We've just learned to like, you know, just let things go, focus on work and, you know, just see the broader picture. And yeah. Is there one dish that you have that's either on right now or coming in as the seasons are changing? I know it's 89 degrees this weekend, yeah. but it's, it's supposed to be fall right now. Is there something that you just put on or are going to put on that you're really excited about that you could just quickly kind of walk us through what that dish might be? Um, yeah, we're working on a couple of things right now. Um, i trying to think what one of my favorites are. Um, we're doing, um, I'm, 
we're working on like a new uh, pasta dish with like braised chicken and mezcal and epazote um, because and olives uh, because I went a couple weeks ago to Mexico City and was like a little inspired by that trip. So um, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. Is it like a mezcal braise? Is yeah, that what exactly. it is? Wow, that sounds cool and yeah. not Italian, but no, in, not at all. In the in the, in <laughs> the Don Angie, so it's fine. In the Don Angie vein, <laughs> uh, very cool. So. Tell everyone listening where they can find the restaurant, where they can come and eat uh, your food. Yeah, so it's located at 103 Greenwich Avenue um, at the corner of 12th Street in the West Village in New York City. And you're open how many days a week for dinner? Or uh, We're o- open seven nights a week for dinner. Um, and we open at, the bar opens at 5 o'clock and the, uh, the restaurant opens at 5.30. Chef, thank you so much for being here. Thank and you so your much story. for having me. Everybody, thanks for listening. You can join us here every Tuesday at 11 a.m. for new episodes of The Line here on Heritage Radio. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.